Currently, we're in a message series called Foundations of Faith. And in the past weeks in this series, we've looked at starting our relationship with God, walking with God, worshiping God. But faith is not just about me and Jesus. Faith is about much more. God's got a plan for our lives. And God's plan for your life is not simply to make you happy. It's not simply to give you everything you may want in life. God's not the big Santa Claus in the sky, and whatever you want, he'll give to you. God has a plan for your life, for you to accomplish something for him. That's the reason he saved you. He has plans for you. God's got a job for you to do for him in your life. And when we do the job that God has for us, we're going to be fulfilled. We're going to be happy. We're going to have the best life that we could possibly have. So it's a win-win situation. And when we do our jobs, we're going to be prepared for an even better eternity. And eternity lasts a very long time. It lasts forever. And so we want to be in the right place in eternity. And so doing your job for God is simply obeying God. It's simply doing what God tells us to do, and that's what believers do. They obey God. And so today my message is entitled, Working with God. How can we work with God to carry out his plan for our lives? We're going to be talking about the overall contour of God's plan for all believers. But of course, each of us is unique. God has a special plan specifically crafted just for you, the way he's created you. And those details will differ from believer to believer, but we're going to talk about the overall plan today. God's plan for your life includes a plan for every day of your life. He's got your day charted out. He knows what you should be doing to fulfill that plan. And so we need to learn to work with God day in and day out. The first verse we want to look at is Philippians 2.13. I encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the verses written out as well as the outline. You can take some notes, refer to it again this week. Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And so God is working, if you're a believer here today, God is working in you. He's working you in two different ways. First of all, he's giving you the desire to do what pleases him. So in the heart of every believer who's seeking to follow God, God is planting desires, good desires, to do what pleases him. In other words, to carry out his plan for your life. Secondly, God is giving you the power to do what pleases him. You know, it's one thing to have the desire to do something to please God, but if you don't have the power to do it, that could be pretty frustrating, couldn't it? But God not only gives us the desire, he gives us the power to carry out his will. And that is the wonderful part. And so we have everything we need to work with God, to fulfill that plan that he has for our life. Now, let's begin to look at the big picture of God's plan for our lives. One day, an expert in the law came up to Jesus and he asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment. The Old Testament had many hundreds of commandments, and so the expert asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave him an answer. And I'd like us to watch a video that ends up with Jesus' answer to this question. So of all the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, Jesus boiled it down to two commandments. Matthew 22, 
Verse 37, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have two dimensions of love. Love encapsulates God's plan for our lives. The first dimension is the vertical dimension. We are to love God with everything we have, with all of our heart, soul, and minds. The second dimension is the horizontal dimension. We are to love people. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. So let's see how these two are interrelated, how loving God and loving our neighbor work together. 1 John 4.21 says, And he, speaking of Jesus, has given us this command, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so if we love God, we are obligated to love our brother. In fact, the verse immediately before it shows that loving people is not optional. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so, we do not have the option of loving God and not loving our brother. Unless we mistake what God's word is saying, there are only two options in relating to people. You either love someone or you hate them. I mean, that, the Bible is really black and white on many different things. And we say, well, I don't love them and I don't hate them. Well, that's not possible. If you, you either love somebody or you hate them in biblical terminology. And so we are to love God and to love the people that God has placed in our lives. And so our love for God is demonstrated in our love for people. And so today we're going to learn how to work with God in loving people. We can only love people with God's help. We can't do it in our own strength. And so let's begin to see how we can love people with God helping us. First of all, we look to Jesus as our example. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And then he adds, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so Jesus begins here with a command to his disciples to love one another. And so the command begins with loving other believers in the church family. But as we'll see, the command extends to all people. Now, how are we to love others? What does it mean to love others? And Jesus says, uh, as we look at Jesus' life, he showed his love to believers. He showed his, life to un- his love to unbelievers. And so we are to love in the same way. Jesus told us here to love others as he has loved, uh, to love uh, the disciples to love others as he's loved them. We are to love others as Jesus has loved us. And so as we read stories in the Gospels, we see how Jesus loved other people and we are to love them in the same way. Jesus is our example. Now, is it easy to love people? It's a very emphatic no. I won't say who said it. Some people are easier to love than others, are, are they not? Everyone would agree with that. And, uh, but everyone has their prickly side, I say, that at times makes it difficult to love. And so 
we need God's help, but Jesus loved everybody. There were people who were mean to him. There were people who offended him. He loved them all. He didn't hate anyone. And Jesus is our example. So that's where we look, first of all, to love people. Loving people requires sacrifice. It's not easy. First John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so Jesus is our example. And here it says we see the greatest demonstration of Jesus' love. Jesus laid down his very life. He gave up his life willingly. The Roman soldiers didn't take his life from him. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. He died for sinners. He laid down his life for people like you and me who were his enemies. That's how he demonstrated his love. It was a great sacrifice. And how are we to follow Jesus' example? Well, it says here clearly, we are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, that obviously doesn't mean we are all going to be nailed to crosses for people. What does it mean to lay down our life for somebody else? It means to sacrifice something to show your love for them. To sacrifice, to show our love, to give up what we would rather do to do the best for those that we are seeking to love with God's love. Loving people isn't easy. Loving people requires sacrifice. It took a great sacrifice of Jesus Christ to demonstrate his love for us, and we must do the same. That's why we need God's help to follow Jesus' example. God helps us to give the love that we have received 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And so the love that we want to give away, we can only give away what we've received from God. And these verses speak of God's comfort, which is an aspect of God's love. When we are in trouble, what does God promise to do for us? He promises to comfort us. He promises to strengthen us, to encourage us in the midst of our trouble. And when we've been comforted by God, then we have the ability to comfort others who are going through similar struggles, similar troubles, similar difficulties in life. And how can we do that? We comfort them with the comfort we've received. Whoever we received the comfort from, we've received it from God. It's an aspect of God's love. And what we've received, we give away. And so we don't have to manufacture love. We don't have to come up with something. We can't manufacture love. We receive from God His love. And we give that love away. The love we've received to those around us. And that's why... Growing in the vertical dimension, worshiping God, growing and receiving love from God is so important because we need to receive that love in order to give it away to those around us. You can't give away what you haven't received from God himself. And so we are to love people with God's help. And who are we to love? What people are, respons what people are we responsible to love? Well, again, the Bible is very clear there are two types of people in the world 
There are those who believed in Jesus and those who have not believed in Jesus. And so there's believers and unbelievers, just two classes of people in the world. And which are we to love? Well, we look at Jesus' example. We've already mentioned this. He showed his love to everybody. He showed his love to those who believed in him, who followed him. He showed his love to those who spit in his face. He showed his love to those who pounded nails into his hands. He showed his love to those who wanted to kill him. And we are to do the same. Now, there are billions of people in the world, and obviously we can't love billions of people. And so who do we love? Well, we love those that God has placed into our lives. There's a circle of people that God has placed in your life. And those are the people we are to love. Our first responsibility is our natural families. Our spouses, our children, our parents, our natural families. We are to love those in our natural family. That's our first responsibility. Then our church family, our brothers and sisters in the church family, we are to show love to them. And then we have many other types of relationships, do we not? We have friends. We have co-workers. We have neighbors. We have extended relatives. And we have people we work out with, and the list can go on and on. And we are to show love to each person that God has placed in our life. And those that he calls us to build relationships with. Perhaps you don't have a relationship with him now, but God calls you to build a relationship with someone new. And we show love to them as well. How do we go about showing love? What does it mean to show love to somebody? It, it involves meeting people's needs. It's nice to tell someone you love them. Nothing wrong with that. But if our love is in words only, it's not a complete expression of God's love. Did Jesus just stay in heaven and say, I love you? Now, he did something. He took action. He came from heaven to earth and ultimately died on the cross to demonstrate his love for us. And of course, his life, his three years of ministry, he demonstrated his love in many different ways by doing what? By meeting people's needs. So let's talk about two classes of needs that people have. First of all, love meets practical needs. Jesus told a story about a traveler who was ambushed by robbers. And this traveler was beaten, uh, robbed, left for dead on the road. Many people passed him by. Was, oh, poor soul. And, and they just walked on, did nothing to help him. But finally, a Samaritan came by. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. And he did something different. He demonstrated his love. Verse 33, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. And so this good Samaritan met the needs of this wounded man. He met him in very concrete ways. He helped him to survive. He bandaged his wounds so he wouldn't bleed to death. He put on the medications of the day. He put him on a donkey, took him to an inn. He paid for his keep there and he took care of him until the man got better. And Jesus told this story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Who am I to love? Now, this wounded man on the road was not 
in the family of the Samaritan. He'd never met him before. But yet, God had placed this wounded man into his life. As he walked the road, he saw the need, and he chose to demonstrate God's love for this man as a practical example of loving our neighbors. So love meets practical needs, and yet practical needs are not the only need that people have. People have the greatest need, and witnessing meets the greatest need. Jesus said to to her in John 11, to a woman, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He was speaking of the resurrection of Lazarus. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that the greatest need of every person on the planet, no matter where they live, no matter what religion they've been raised in, the greatest need of a person is to believe in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. That is the greatest need. Why is this the greatest need? Well, our lifespan on this earth is typically 70, 80, or 90 years. And that's it. And then what happens? Well, each and every person will enter into eternity. And how long does eternity last? Forever and ever and ever. And there are two destinations for our eternities. And both of those destinations are going to last forever. They're permanent destinations. Once you arrive at your eternal destination, you are there forever. There's no traveling between the two destinations. The default destination is hell. It's a place of indescribable torment. It's a place apart from the presence of God. It's a place filled with the devil and his demons being tormented themselves. That's the default destination. The other destination is heaven. It's a place of indescribable joy, a place of indescribable happiness beyond anything we could imagine in the presence of God and of his holy angels. And so the greatest need of people is how they can spend eternity with God instead of without God. How they can spend eternity in heaven rather than hell. And so by showing love, we show our love to people by telling them that by believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they can spend eternity with Him. That is meeting people's greatest needs. And so we need to be ready to be a witness. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to those to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so this verse instructs us to always be prepared to be witnesses. Now it says, be prepared to give an answer to anyone, everyone who asks. Why would somebody ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have? Well, they would ask if you've been talking about the hope you have. And so we need to be talking about Jesus. We need to be talking about the hope that we have in this life and the next. And people are going to ask, 
you know, I don't understand this. Why do you have this hope? Why do you believe the way you do? And we need to be ready to give an answer to the questions that unbelievers ask us. And if we're letting our light shine, people are going to be asking us, what's different about you? Why do you think the way you do? Why do you believe the way you do? Why do you act the way you do? Why do you show love the way you do? And God's word here tells us to be prepared to answer the questions. And our answers must not be prideful. They must be given with gentleness and respect, even to those who are unbelievers. And so why should we witness? Because sharing our faith demonstrates our love. Demonstrates our concern for people's greatest need. Now, if you saw somebody... Well, let's just go back to the story of the Good Samaritan. This guy is laying on the road, dying. And you pass by. Are you showing love for him? What is, what is his greatest need? His greatest need is to, at that point, his greatest physical need is for somebody to take care of him so he doesn't die on the road. And if we have a friend, if we have a relative, we care about them, we say we love them, we're nice to them, we're pleasant with them, and yet we know they don't believe in Jesus Christ, if we don't do anything about their greatest need, do we truly love them. If we truly love, we're going to share our faith with those who do not yet know Jesus. It demonstrates our love. It demonstrates our concern. It demonstrates we love enough to seek to meet their greatest need. Now, as we witness, we must be prepared for opposition Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so our love is to extend beyond believers. It's to extend beyond those that, do not, uh, that believe in Jesus Christ, to extend to unbelievers. And when we talk to people who do not yet know God, sometimes they'll oppose us. Sometimes they'll persecute us. And so we don't give up on being a witness just because we face opposition. We love those who oppose us. We are to pray for those who persecute us. And if you are letting your light shine, if you're being a witness for Jesus, you will face opposition. You will face persecution of one sort or another. If no one is opposing you, if no one has even got irritated with you about you sharing your faith, you're not sharing your faith enough. Because every, we see it over and over in the Bible, those that share their faith will face opposition, will face persecution. Now, what kinds of opposition and persecution do we encounter today in America? Really, it's pretty mild. We tell somebody about Jesus and... They say, I wish you wouldn't talk to me about that. That's our persecution, right? We talk to somebody, we invite somebody to church, and they say, no, I don't want to go. Extreme persecution, right? <laughs> um, now, there may be some other things, but our lives today are not on the line, are they? In other countries, people are being martyred just for 
going to a house church in somebody's house. Being arrested, put in prison, and killed. Let alone by telling somebody else. In Islamic countries, simply trying to evangelize someone else is a capital crime. To convert them to Christianity from Islam. It's a capital crime to, as they say, proselytize. And yet, people are risking that. That's why the church is growing in Islamic countries, because people are being witnesses despite persecution, despite the opposition. Jesus' words here in Matthew 5 were spoken to his disciples. The vast majority of them were martyred for their faith in Christ. They were persecuted to the very death. But for every person who opposes our witness, there are more who are receptive. Those who are going to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and spend eternity with him as their greatest need was met. And so love meets people's needs. Now let's think a little more deeply about meeting people's needs. The first way we spoke of is meeting people's practical needs. It's what the Good Samaritan did for the man on the road. What kind of practical needs can we meet? Well, there are many practical needs. One of the easiest is simply to listen to and be a friend with somebody. If you're on a job with other people, have you ever had people come up to you and tell you their woes? <laughs> tell you their troubles. They're looking for a listening ear. They want somebody to listen to what's going on in their life. And so we can have a listening ear. We can have a compassionate heart. And as people share their troubles, as people share their woes, as people grumble and complain, what can we offer to do? We can offer to pray for them. And so we move from lending a listening ear, being a friend to somebody, meeting that practical need, to praying for somebody. Or we can offer to help. If there's a way we can practically help, we can offer to help as well. And we tell people, why are we helping them? Because we want to show the love of Christ. And so meeting practical needs, being friends with people, opens the door to meeting their greatest need, their spiritual need. And as I said, the easiest way to move from practical needs to the spiritual is to offer to pray for somebody. And the vast majority of people that I've ever offered to pray for, I can't remember anyone ever saying no. I have heard, not here. <laughs> and he's working, you know, it's like, not here. You can pray, but not in front of everybody else. Uh, people don't protest on being prayed for. And what does God do? God loves to meet and answer those prayers, to show himself real in people's lives. And that opens the door for people to understand the reality of God. And so as God begins to answer those prayers and people ask you to pray for other things, be prepared to speak of your faith. Be prepared to give them the reason for your hope to take them a little further along their journey until they come to know Jesus Christ. Be prepared to invite them to church where they'll hear more about God so they can learn more about his word. And so meeting practical needs opens the door to meeting spiritual needs. And so today, we're talk, we've talked about working with God in loving people, showing God's love to others with, with his help.
And so our, our love for others comes from and through our relationship with God. It's empowered by God's love for us. And we love others as God has loved us. And that love that we have is expressed in meeting other people's needs. First, their practical need, always keeping in mind that every person, with no exceptions, their greatest need in life is to know Jesus Christ and to receive eternal life. And so sharing our faith in witness in witnessing is the highest form of love that we can give to somebody else because we're meeting their greatest need. And so let's continue to pray. Let's continue to look for opportunities to share the love of Christ and be a witness for Jesus Christ. So at the bottom of your outline today, I have an action plan for this week. First of all, to continue to have a daily quiet time of Bible reading, praying, and writing down what God says to you. Uh, If you're not already doing that, I encourage you to begin this week and uh, encourage you to read John 12 through 16, a chapter a day, if you don't have a current Bible reading plan. Secondly, ask God to guide you to show his love to somebody else this week by being a witness for Jesus. Meeting a practical need and or meeting spiritual needs. Ask God to begin to open doors that you could show his love to others, working out his plan for your life as you follow him. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, if you're not sure that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's how to become a disciple. You don't become a disciple of Jesus or a believer by simply believing in God. You don't become a disciple of Jesus Christ by having been baptized as an infant. You don't become a disciple or a believer in Jesus Christ by being a good person. Here's how you become a believer. You become a believer by admitting that you've sinned, asking God to forgive you, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and committing your life to following Him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. If you have never prayed a prayer like this before, or perhaps you have in the past, but you feel like you've wandered away from God, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Something like this. Just pray in your mind. Say, Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I haven't been following your plan for my life. I've been doing what I wanted. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, took the punishment for my sins upon himself. I believe he rose from the dead. I put my trust in him. I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for for the great love that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. Forgive us, God, for not showing that same love that we've received to the people that you've placed in our lives. Help us to work out your plan for our lives by loving people with your help. Show us how to meet other people's practical needs, to have compassion, to care about other people. And give us the courage, God, and the wisdom to be a witness for you, giving people the answer 
for why we live our lives the way we do. Help us, God, to meet the people and the relationships you've placed in our life. Help us to meet their greatest need, the need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We thank you, God, for the privilege of working with you and carrying out your plan for our lives and showing your love to those around us. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do as we submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.